0: In the rack in front of you, you've already used it for the Ten Commandments. Our our text can be found uh, on page 819. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, please take that one. We would love for it to be uh, a gift for you. Uh, We have more where those came from, so we have plenty. Uh, uh, This morning, we are in uh, Matthew 13. We're looking at verses uh, 44 uh, down to 52. Uh, You know, I said earlier, uh, I'm not doing an Advent series. I think... It's the first time since I've been here for the seventh Christmas, but we haven't had an Advent series. Uh, we did have a Sunday school series through the themes of Advent, and uh, one reason we didn't is the, the parables in chapter 13, they sort of fit together sort of thematically to tell us about Jesus, to tell us about the kingdom that the king has come to bring, come to bring about. Now, one of the unique things about these verses, and what we're going to see on Christmas morning, is that... Not everybody was thrilled about the arrival of Jesus. Uh, we're going to see, I know it doesn't sound very Christmassy, but we're going to see next Sunday that Jesus was rejected. Uh, we're going to see sort of his, his mom and his dad, what were they considered? What did his parentage tell us about, about him? But the parables, they sort of divide. They, they divide into these different groups. And we maybe I could say those who celebrate the arrival of the king and his kingdom and those who don't. So we have uh, the final four parables in sort of the the parables of the kingdom section. Uh, And if you're listening carefully, you will hear a bunch of repeated themes that we have already been through. So would you follow along with me uh, in verses 44 uh, down to verse uh, 52. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Our Lord, we hear and rejoice today in the truths and the promises of the kingdom of heaven. It is a kingdom somewhat different from the kingdom we expect. It's a kingdom somewhat at odds at times from the kingdom that we might even want. It's a kingdom that both unites and divides. And I pray as we conclude this brief look at this series of parables, that we would come and say to Jesus, and he asks us if we understand, yes. We understand and we believe. Speak to us, O Lord, in these few minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We have all, every one of us, experienced at some time what is called the aha moment. You know that moment where all the pieces finally fit together and it makes sense that moment when the light bulb goes off in your head, that moment when everything clicks and what you have been looking at or thinking about that was once frustrating or confusing or mysterious, now you say, oh, now I get it. And you can, you can see when the aha moment happens on somebody else's face, right? The, the frown uh, turns into sort of amazement, that look of, of understanding. I can see it sometimes on your faces right even when I'm preaching it's that that wasn't supposed to be a joke (laughs) it's that light bulb moment right all of a sudden you you get it the riddle makes sense the mystery is revealed Uh, and it does happen I mean it legitimately does happen when we study God's word doesn't it Uh, you you are and as I as I am the light bulb does go go off that verse you've read so many times oh it finally makes sense no credit to the preacher right That's my experience every week in studying. Oh, now it finally makes sense to me. We're not the only ones who are aware of that aha moment at the words of Jesus. The disciples themselves had these moments, this realization of now I get it. Now that which was once mysterious makes sense. But for Jesus, in his teaching, these aha moments aren't only moments of mental understanding. They're life-changing moments. They're moments that follow, oh, I get it. I'm going in the wrong direction. Now I'm going to go this way. I'm making the wrong choices. Now I'm going to do this. I'm following the wrong leader or the wrong path. And now a change comes. The aha moment always comes with a change in our lives. What I want you to see this morning is that those who understand the kingdom of heaven arrange their lives around it. Those of us who truly understand the kingdom of heaven rearrange or arrange our entire lives around the truths of the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to get to the question at the end. I'll give it away to you now. Do you understand? Jesus asks his followers, And he asked us, in no uncertain terms, have you understood? Before we get to that question, what are the things we're supposed to understand? I want to give you some truths this morning. Three true things, or three truths, about the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we arrive at these truths, we're going to look at the final four of these parables uh, I don't have enough time to to do the deep dive here, but there's eight parables in chapter 13, and they are erased in a sort of matching structure. So that parable four and five match, and three and six match, two and seven match. I mean, I have this, I got this whole sheet in my office. If, you, if you, I can email it to you this week, if you really care, uh, it's pretty fascinating to me, maybe just to me. Uh, but these parables. Like they line up and they support one another and they teach us, they reinforce these, these truths we're learning. So what's our first truth? The first truth is the supreme value of the kingdom of heaven. The supreme, the great, the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven. We get this in verses 45 to 46, which are two parables. Parables five and six and the parables parallel I can't say that that fast, but they parallel right parables three and four. That makes sense. We had the mustard seed and the leaven, these two brief parables that told us one truth about the kingdom. And now we have two more brief parables that tell us that same, a same truth about the kingdom. What did we learn from the seed and the yeast parables last week? We learned that the kingdom of heaven is hidden. It's humble. It's lowly. In fact, it's, it's so low that we might look at it and we might wonder, well, is that kingdom actually worth anything? It's so small, is even noticeable? Is it even worth anything? Does it have any value? I mean, kids, think for a moment about those presents that may be already wrapped under your tree, right? Maybe your parents are on the ball. Maybe they're not. They will be. Presents under your tree. Which ones do you value the most? The smallest one or the biggest one, Right? You think the biggest present must be the best present. That's how we think, right? Bigger is better. And so if the kingdom is small and hidden and humble, does it actually have any value to us? So Jesus tells these two parables to show us the supreme, the, the, the surpassing value of the kingdom. Verse 44 is the first parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man finds, right? This is kind of like everybody's dream, right? You're digging in your backyard and you stumble upon a treasure. Now it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen very often, right? It, it didn't happen very often back then. It was maybe more likely because people didn't have a bank to put their treasures in. They didn't have a safe. The, the safest place for their treasures was to dig a hole in the ground and bury it. So if they forgot where the hole was or if they were driven out by an invading army, their treasures left buried in the ground. It's so pretty rare to have somebody stumble upon a treasure. So we have a man who is apparently digging in a field. The field is is not his. He doesn't own it. So this person digging is, is probably a laborer. He's a worker. He's an, an employee of some sort. He's been sent out to, to dig a trench or to dig a well or to dig the rocks out of the field for the planting season. It doesn't matter. What matters is it's not his field, and yet he stumbles upon a treasure, right? The, the, the shovel hits something solid, right? There's buried treasure here. What does he do when he finds it? He immediately covers it back up. Probably because there were laws back then that if he, if he took it out, then it belongs to the owner of the field. But if he leaves it in there and covers it back up, nobody knows about it. And he can go, and, and he can buy the field for himself, and go back and dig it up, and it's all is. and so that's what he does right he finds this incredible treasure the second half of the verse tells us in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field we'll come back to this later in the sermon but this is key in his joy I mean I imagine this guy like skipping and whistling right away from this field right is that what you do when you're joyous maybe something else but he is overcome with joy As he leaves this field, he has found the treasure and is incomparable to whatever he once had. In his joy, he sells everything to buy the field and get the treasure. The next parable, number six, is like unto it. Verses 45 and 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Do you see the differences here? First, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. Now it's the the merchant looking for the treasure. We don't need to take these as too specific, talking about these different roles, right? Jesus is using parables to make really one major point. And the point of both of these parables is the value of the kingdom. So now the one searching for the treasure is not just randomly digging in a field. He's actually searching for it. This is a merchant in search of fine pearls. He's a collector of fine pearls. He knows what they look like. He probably sells them for more than he paid for them. And he finds, verse 46, one pearl of great value. And he knows it, right? He knows which pearls are more valuable than others. Um, I don't have a clue looking at a pearl if it's worth anything or not. If it's even real or not. But this guy knows the real thing. This is the the expert in the value of pearls and he finds one of great value and he sells everything for it. Presumably that means all of his other pearls, right? (laughs) Presumably that means this one pearl is worth all of his other pearls put together and everything else he has. He sells everything just to go buy that one pearl. Now some people interpret these two parables together as being parables about sacrifice, about giving up everything. Uh, I think that's quite honestly going down the wrong path. There's not much sacrifice here. <laughs> they both obtain something of greater, of infinitely greater value than that which they once had. It's not like they're trading one thing for another. They are achieving, they are uh, receiving, they are gaining, surpassing value to anything in their possession there's a lesson as we take these two together they're so similar aren't they there's also a key difference in these two parables as we understand what they're pointing to of finding and valuing the kingdom of heaven is that sometimes we look for the treasure and sometimes we're not looking for it at all right the guy digging in the field randomly stumbles upon this treasure I wonder how many of you, that's your testimony of randomly stumbling upon the kingdom of heaven. You weren't looking for it. You weren't searching for anything in particular. You were going about your daily life. You were uh, I- ignoring God in as many ways as you could. This is my testimony. This is my story. And all of a sudden, in the matter of a few days and a few hours, the Lord revealed to me the surpassing value of his kingdom. And I had to have it. Some of you, on the other hand, are like the merchant. You, you searched amongst the, the great religions of the world. How You are a pursuer of the things of God. You, you had to keep looking until you found the truth. Right? You knew that the other things in the world weren't true. They didn't satisfy. And so you continued to search and to search until you found the truth. And you gave up everything else for it. Isn't it amazing how God can work in both of those ways? He can arrest us in a moment with the glory of his kingdom, or he can be patient with us for years and decades until he leads us to find that pearl of great price. Whether we look for it or not, the similarity is key. They both recognize the great value of what they have found. They see the value of the treasure. They see the value of this pearl. How many other people passed over this pearl, because they didn't know how valuable it was. This man saw it. Both of them give up everything to get it, and they do so joyously, without regrets, without hesitation, without fears. Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it is worth sacrificing anything to gain it. It is so valuable. It is worth sacrificing anything to gain. There's that word again, sacrifice. But is it really a sacrifice to gain the greatest thing imaginable in all of the world? Some of you are familiar with the name Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary, uh, did most of his work in inland China, uh, made great sacrifices uh, in his labors, both personal and professional He came to the end of his life and he famously said, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. Similarly, uh, the missionary David Brainerd uh, sent out uh, by, uh, among others, Jonathan Edwards as a minister in the western part of of then sort of Connecticut, uh, ministering to the Native Americans. He said as well on his deathbed when he gave his very life for the spread of the gospel, I never made a sacrifice. That's the testimony of those who have found this treasure, isn't it? Don't we know that though we have given things up, though we have said no to certain things, we have not made a sacrifice. We have given it all to inherit the greatest value in all of the world, the supreme surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm sure some of you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, right. (laughs) There's no way it's actually that. Valuable. No way, preacher, are you telling me that Jesus and his kingdom is more valuable than everything in this world? Well, I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling you that for one. And I would just ask you after church to go ask somebody else. Go ask the person sitting next to you. Go ask somebody sitting in front of you hey, is it really worth it? Children if you are wondering that, if you are wondering is it worth it to follow Jesus, if you are considering, well, this is my parents' church, it's my parents' religion, it's my parents' faith, is it, does it really have any value for me or is it just what they do and I need to go off on my own? I would ask them this afternoon. Your parents would love to tell you if it is really worth it or not. I also want to wonder if there are some of you who you have sold everything for it, and you're beginning to wonder, was that actually worth it? The weight of that that you have left behind, the relationships, the opportunities, the experiences, is it really worth it? And I want you to hear the, the reassuring words of Jesus that you have gained more than you ever lost. You have received more than you have ever left behind. The joy of what you have now surpasses the combined joy of everything this world has to offer. to, To follow Jesus is to believe the promise, to understand the truth of the supreme value of the kingdom of heaven. It is that treasure and more. It is that pearl and so much more. Those who understand the value of the kingdom will rearrange their lives around it. But what about those who don't? What about those who don't see the value of this kingdom? Well, we come to our next parable, and here we learn a second truth. This truth is the final separation of the kingdom. The final separation of the kingdom. This is the parable of the the net, parable number seven. Uh, sometimes it's called the parable of the dragnet. Um, that just reminds me of that old TV show, so I don't think that helps us understand it. Uh, this is a parallel to the parable of the weeds we saw last week. Parable number two, the separation of the weeds and the tares. Parable number seven, the separation of that which is caught in the net. Verses 47 and 48 is the parable of the net. Now, it is called a drag net because the net's actually dragged uh, through the lake. And so you could picture a very large net woven by hand, you know, holes big enough for lots of water to come through, but small enough uh, that fish can't swim through it. It's got weights at the top. I mean, sorry, it's got floatables cork at the top. It's got weights at the bottom. It is let down sort of vertically in the pond or in a lake, and it is dragged through the water. Either one side on the shore sort of dragged around or two boats dragging this great net. And what does it do? It catches everything. That's the key is it catches everything. The net itself has no discernment, right? The net is like the disciples last week who just wanted to pick the wheat and the tares, but they couldn't tell the difference. They just pick everything. That's what the net is. The net brings everything. Everything, every type of fish, every type of uh, seaweed and algae, every piece of trash is brought in by this net as it's dragged through the lake. It catches everything. Well, then the, the real work begins, the separation work. You can picture a net dragged up on a seashore full of all sorts of stuff. And then come the workers. And the workers have to, verse 48 tells us, the men drew it ashore, they sat down, and they sorted the good into containers, but they threw away the bad. This is pretty simple. Where's the good edible fish? Take it out, put it in the barrels, right? Where's the bad stuff? We take that out of the net and we throw it away. These workers sort of working through the nets. The key idea here is they sorted it out. They sorted the good from the bad. Now, what's the point? Unlike the other two parables, Jesus gives us an explanation to this parable. So the parable ends at the end of verse 48. Verse 49 is the explanation. So it will be at the end of the age. You get what he's saying? The end of the age is the end of this age. The age between the first time of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. The end of the age, according to the Bible, is when Jesus returns. And this age, this era, this epoch, This sort of season in world history comes to an end at the return of Jesus. It's like the bringing in of the net. This day and age, fish, algae, trash, everything's existing together in the lake. The end of the age, it's all drawn together and collected. It's just like the harvest that we read about in the parable of the weeds and the parable of the wheat. They're collected and divided at the end of the age, at the harvest. Back to verse 49, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. So we saw last week, the angels are the reapers who separate the wheat from the tares. Here the angels are the men that come out and separate the good fish from all the bad stuff that's caught in the net. And then Jesus repeats the same line he's already said. The bad, the evil, are thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, once again, we see separation. We see a parable in which the bad creatures, objects in the sea, are the evil people of humanity who are punished. Now, we've said it before. We'll see it again in Matthew's gospel. But for some of us, it doesn't make it any easier to swallow. Jesus does not pull any punches here. He doesn't weaken or diminish the doctrine of hell itself. I mean, Jesus talks about hell a lot. And he uses some pretty heavy descriptive words to talk about it. He doesn't talk about hell just because he likes to talk about hell itself. Now, Jesus has come as the justice and the righteousness of God, that he has come not only to punish the evil, but to show grace and mercy upon hundreds and thousands of people. What would we think of a God who never brings about justice? What would we think about a God who never shows himself to be righteous? What would we think of a world in which Jesus allows wickedness to run rampant and never, ever be punished. What kind of God is that? It's not a just God. It's not a righteous God. It's certainly not the God described for us in the Bible. You see, the doctrine of hell comes out of the doctrine of the justice and the righteousness of God. He is good and he is merciful And he is just and he knows and he sees everything and he will bring about justice. The evil here are not the the few percent of the extremely wicked and evil people uh, and sort of the the worst of all humanity. Now, the description here, the difference between the evil and the righteous boils down to uh, those who trust in Christ and those who do not. You see, the righteous, he says the, the righteous, essentially the good, the ones that are, uh, that, are, uh, uh, that are put together, right? That are collected in containers not to be thrown away. This describes not the, the good portion of humanity. No, this describes those who have received by faith the righteousness of Jesus. You see, he alone is the righteous one. He alone gives the gift of righteousness, We are not righteous because of our own works, our own merits, our own earnings. We are counted and considered righteous because Jesus has gifted us his perfect life. I mean, it's as if the the guy looking at the net, it's full of bad fish, every single one of them. But there are some of them that are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. So they are considered, they are counted as if they are righteous. That righteousness is ours by faith alone, not by works. It's by believing and trusting in Jesus that we are sorted out among the good. Now, when you compare this to the parable we've already heard of the weeds, unlike the last two parables, there's nothing new here. It doesn't, it seems like Jesus gives us another parable, but it tells us the exact same, I mean, he uses the exact same words. So if there's nothing new, what's the point? Well, I think that is the point, that there isn't anything new. It's in fact a repetition of what has already come. This is Jesus's repeated warnings. I mean, if we see in the last parable that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's worth sacrificing anything to gain it. We can turn that phrase around here and we can say the wrath of God is so terrible. It is worth sacrificing anything to avoid it. I'm going to mix parables here for a moment. Imagine the man digging in his field, and he finds the great treasure. And he says, yeah, that's worth a whole lot, but I'm not willing to get rid of this for it. Now, the guy with the pearl says, yeah, that's the greatest pearl I've ever seen, but I would rather have this other small little treasure back at home. What is keeping you from the kingdom of heaven? What is keeping you from seeing its supreme value? From being warned about this final separation? I can tell you assuredly whatever it is it's not worth it. Whatever it is it's not it's not worth giving up on this value. And it's not worth risking this final separation. Jesus tells us again and again what the future holds. And then he takes a step back in the final parable to the present. That's where we're going to see our third truth. As Jesus turns back to the present, verses 51 and 52, our third truth is the ongoing spread of the kingdom. Supreme Value, final separation, and here we see the ongoing spread of the kingdom. Verse 51 is fascinating to me. It's quite a question and answer from the disciples. Jesus turns to them, he's told them seven parables, and he says, have you understood all of these things? That's a weighty term, isn't it? The word understood, Jesus has already defined for us. It means Back in verse 15, understood with their whole heart. It means back in verse uh, 23 that they hear the word, they understand it, and then they go do it. It bears fruit. It's not just, yeah, I get the word and the syntax. I get your point, Jesus. No, it's a radical change of life around that which Jesus teaches. And so he puts the question to them as he puts the question to you and to me, have you understood? Not can you summarize the last three sermons I've given, Have you actually understood them? Has your life changed because of who Jesus and his kingdom is? And amazingly, they give a one-word answer. Yes. And these guys, that don't seem to get anything, right? They don't seem to understand anything. And here they say, well, yes, Jesus. It almost sounds flippant, doesn't it? It almost sounds incredibly naive. But I think we need to give them the benefit of the doubt. James Boyce, a great preacher, has, has said, by them saying they understood, it doesn't mean they understand everything, but it means that they believe what they did understand, and they were prepared to act on it. No one is going to understand everything Jesus says. The question is, do you believe that which you have understood, and are you ready and prepared to act on it? If they've understood then they're ready for the final parable. The most, frankly, confusing of all the parables, but the final one, hear what Jesus says in verse 52. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. All right, there's a lot of layers in this parable. Uh, one is the, the, the metaphor itself. Uh, a master of a house who has a treasure, and out of that treasure he brings new stuff and old stuff sort of sounds like the, you know the 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 wedding day you know little rhyme something old something new right he's bringing out this treasure for some purpose we don't know what it is but that treasure is intended to to do something to achieve something to, to purchase something so there's the metaphor which in itself is somewhat veiled and it applies to scribes who have been trained for the kingdom. So the master that brings out out from his treasure is like a scribe who has been trained for a kingdom. A scribe is uh, someone, scribe writing, someone who writes down. So a scribe, they're usually grouped with the Pharisees. They're the religious experts of the day. They read all of the old texts. They copy them down. They reproduce them, right? Uh, The scribes are the teachers of their day. They study, they know, they bring out of sort of that treasure house of knowledge and they teach it. That's what the scribes do. But the scribes here are not Jewish scribes, not scribes associated with the Pharisees. Rather, they are very particularly scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. Well, who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven? It's the disciples. Remember the crowds out there? they're they're, the, the truth of the parables are concealed to them but jesus goes into the house to speak particularly to the disciples he's training them he's giving them parables he's explaining them so he tells them now that as disciples they are being trained as scribes of the kingdom of heaven scribes who know and who then bring out that knowledge to teach and to tell others the knowledge that Jesus has given to his disciples, his kingdom scribes, that knowledge is a treasure. And there's old in that treasure. All of the Old Testament, I think this is referring to. All of these scriptures that Jesus tells them are fulfilled in him. All of the law and the promises and the prophecies, that's the old. The new is everything that points to Jesus. The regular Pharisees and scribes, they just know the old. The kingdom of heaven scribes, the disciples, they now know the new and the old. That's their treasure. And they are to bring out as the master brings out his treasure to do with it what a scribe does with treasure, which is to teach it, which is to tell it, which is to share it, which is to spread it. Jesus is telling his disciples, teach what you've learned. Take that treasure and share it with others. This is the final parable It parallels with the first parable, the parable of the sower. What does the sower do? He teaches, he tells, he proclaims, he sends forth the very word of God. The role of the disciple then throughout the church up until today is to receive treasures from our God, our king, our teacher, and to take those treasures and to bring them out and to share them, to display them, to offer them. To the nations of the world. It's as if in that final question when Jesus says, have you understood? And they say, yes. He's like, great, now get to work. (laughs) Once you know what the treasure is, great. Now you go take it to everybody else. Or as he says more clearly at the end of, uh, of Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Those who understood the kingdom of heaven arrange their lives around it. You see, there's so many warnings here, and the warnings of these verses, if you do not believe in Jesus, you should hear them loud and clear today. He is, through this Bible and this microphone, warning you. There's also a word here to those who believe, those who trust, those who are part of that same kingdom. We are told where our neighbors are going. And we are given a responsibility, a joyous burden to take the treasures that have been opened for us and bring them to those around us. We as the people of God are those motivated by mercy. We have seen the joy. Don't we want our neighbors to know that same joy? Don't we want our friends to experience that same joy? Don't we want them to sell everything and come and buy that field and buy that pearl of surpassing value? you know there is a great joy of opening presents at kingdom at, at presents on christmas it's a joy that uh, mostly our kids experience but there's sort of a greater joy sometimes as a parent isn't there or as a grandparent of bringing out those treasures for those same kids to open and rejoice in that's what jesus is telling us in these eight parables We have found the greatest of treasures. We, by his grace and mercy, whether we sought it or whether it struck us dead uh, one night, we have found the greatest of treasures. Christ and his kingdom, we receive it with everlasting joy. Now, we get the joy of bringing it out for others to find as well. Of sharing that same joy with them. May our hearts rejoice today in the treasure of Christ. For as we have freely received, so now do we freely give. Let's pray. Our Lord, we recognize this morning the surpassing joy and value and beauty of the kingdom of heaven. Forgive us for how we have missed it. Forgive us for it's not your treasure that is dim. It's our eyes that are dim. Show it to us this morning and send us on our way. Send us as men and women who understand and who are eager to spread and to share that same joy, that same treasure with the world around us. May we too be like the master who brings out the new and brings out the old on display that all may come and buy without money. We pray it all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of the riches of the kingdom of heaven, we turn to our our hymn of preparation, hymn 230 in your hymnals.